pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you even in that song, the reminder of your love for us. Lord, as we continue to, to look at the scripture, Lord, where we see Joseph forgotten, we reflect in our own lives oftentimes how we feel the same way. We thank you for that reminder that you love us, you went to the cross for us, and we are never forgotten and always loved. That may our love for you I'd simply reflect back the love that you've already given us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, last week, if you were here, you know I gave you two lists at the beginning of the service, the sermon, uh, as I opened, to see if you recognized any of them. And so I've got a couple more lists this morning to see if you do. I was a history major in college, and uh, so, I, of course, I know everything there is to know about history, right? And so... Anyway, no, I, I actually had to look all this stuff up, so don't feel too bad. But, but, um, but here we go. Here's the first list, all right? Let's see. Now, we had a couple of hands that went up last week that you recognized a name or two. Here we go. Josiah Bartlett. All right. Carter Braxton. Not a part of the show on TV. Um, George, for those of you that watch that. George Clymer. That's C-L-Y-M-E-R. No? Clymer? William Floyd. Arthur Middleton, Richard Stockton, maybe some of you know Richard, I don't know. Anybody, any idea? No? All right, they have something in common with these people. John Adams, Samuel Chase, Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, and the most famous on the list, John Hancock. They were all, of course, signers of the Declaration of Independence. Can't believe you've forgotten those guys. Kidding me? My goodness. All right, here's the second list. See what you know. George Reed, R-E-A-D. Reed? No. Roger Sherman. They sound like they just live down the street somewhere, don't they? I've heard of Roger Sherman. All right, we've got a Roger Sherman sighting right here about midway back and in the back. All right. Robert Morris. Okay. Along with, along with George Clymer and Benjamin Franklin, those guys were the only people to sign both the Declaration of Independence and the United States Constitution. Sort of interesting. Little, little piece of trivia, the third list, I won't ask you if you recognize them. Roger Sherman and Robert Morris, by the way, just so happened to be the only two men to sign the Declaration of Independence, the Articles of Confederation, and the United States Constitution. You can amaze your friends with what incredible knowledge you'll leave with this morning. Roger Sherman, Robert Morris. There will be a quiz later on, all right? As I mentioned last week, it's amazing how quickly we forget names that maybe you once heard or that you've looked across a list before or you studied at one point in elementary, middle, or high school, or maybe even college. It's amazing how we forget those who were once so prominent in our country. And you say, well, I never knew any of those guys. Of course you didn't. But these people were once so important and, of course, still are. But these people were instrumental in establishing the country that we call home, and yet we, we don't even recognize their names. Some of them we do, but most we don't. And as we saw last week, as we looked at a couple of different lists, none of us will probably ever rise to the point where we'll run for a national office or we'll sign a national document or anything like that. But we can relate to these guys in the sense that we all know 
every one of us here, even those who would like to hide it and pretend as if it's not real in your life, we all know what it's like to feel forgotten, to feel dismissed or ignored or sort of passed over, looked over, whatever it may be, by society as a whole, by your friends and family, by your co-workers or your place of employment, or, or even by God Himself. And many of us today, as we looked at last week, arrived this morning and we feel extremely insignificant. We feel very useless. Maybe some of you are here today and, and you just feel as if the world has sort of passed you by. And you're just forgotten. You're still breathing and you're taking up space here on this earth, but you don't feel like it really matters whatsoever. You could disappear and no one would notice. You just feel forgotten. Maybe you look around and, and you even think that, you know what, not only has everyone else forgotten me, but it just seems like God is sort of ignoring me and I'm not even on His radar. Everybody seems to have God working in their life, maybe but you. Or you have extreme gifting and ability and lots of potential, and yet nothing is, nothing's happening. You're stuck. Maybe you've served God in huge ways in the past, or you really want to, and yet you don't have those opportunities. And so maybe you're here today, and you're lonely and discouraged and frustrated and feeling sort of left out. Maybe, as I mentioned last week, you've got so much to offer, but you're stuck in a dead-end kind of situation in your employment. Dead-end job that seems to be going nowhere. How do you handle it when you feel forgotten? That's the question we started with last week, and we got through half of the message and decided to take a time out and punt until this week, and we'll finish the rest of it today. I want to read to you, and I hope you'll follow along, the scripture that we looked at last week in Genesis chapter 40. How do you handle it when you feel as if that you've been forgotten, not only by this world and the people in it, but maybe even by God himself? When you feel as if all you've tried has gone nowhere, nothing seems to go your way, maybe you feel like a failure, how do you handle those things? Genesis chapter 40, we're going to read again the story that we read last week, continuing in our series on the life of a man named Joseph in the Old Testament. Genesis chapter 40, verse 1. It says, after this, and this is after Joseph has been thrown into prison and then rises to prominence inside the prison, the king of Egypt's cupbearer and his baker offended their master. He's talking about Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in the, in the custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned Joseph to them, and he became their personal attendant were in custody for some time. The cupbearer and the baker of the king of England, who were confined in the prison, each had a dream. Both had a dream on the same night, and each dream had its own meaning. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they looked distraught. So he asked Pharaoh's officers, who were in custody with him in his master's house, Why are your faces sad today? We had dreams, they said to him, but there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, Don't interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph. In my dream, there was a vine in front of me. On the vine, there were three branches. As soon as it budded, the blo its blossoms came out, and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. This is its interpretation, Joseph said to him. The three branches are three days. In just three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position. You will, be, you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand the way you used to when you were his cupbearer. 
But when all goes well for you, remember that I was with you. Please show kindness to me by mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. For I was kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews, and even there, even here rather, I have done nothing that they should put me in the dungeon. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was positive, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. Three baskets of white bread were on my head. In the top basket were all sorts of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. This is its interpretation, Joseph replied. The three baskets are three days. In just three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from off you and hang you on a tree. Then the birds will eat the flesh from your body. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he gave a feast for all of his servants. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position as cupbearer, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker, just as Joseph had explained to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Two years later, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing beside the Nile when seven healthy-looking, well-fed cows came up from the Nile and began to graze among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, sickly and thin, came up from the Nile and stood beside those cows <clears throat> excuse me, along the bank of the Nile. The sickly, thin cows ate the healthy, well-fed cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. He fell asleep and dreamed a second time. Seven heads of grain, full and good, came up on one stalk. After them, seven heads of grain, thin and scorched by the east wind, sprouted up. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven full good ones. Then Pharaoh woke up, and it was only a dream. When morning came, he was troubled. So he summoned all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his, told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today I remember my faults. Pharaoh had been angry with his servants, and he put me and the chief baker in the custody of the captain of the guard. He and I had dreams on the same night. Each dream had its own meaning. Now a young Hebrew, a slave of the captain of the guards, was with us there. We told him our dreams. He interpreted our dreams for us, and each had its own interpretation. It turned out just the way he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position, and the other man was hanged. And Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and they quickly brought him from the dungeon. He shaved, changed his clothes, and went to Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream, and no one can interpret it. But I've heard it said about you that you can hear a dream and interpret it. I'm not able to, Joseph answered. It is God who will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. And we'll continue the story next week, just so you know. We'll get the, the, the rest of the story. But I want to focus this week on the second part of the sermon that we began last time. So far in this series, we've examined the life of Joseph, and we've seen him rejected, seen God build his character, fulfill, his, fulfill God's plans and his will through Joseph, through his rejection. We've seen him wrongfully convicted of a crime that he did not commit. Uh, we, we'll see him again today forgotten. It says in, in chapter 40, verse 23, the cupbearer did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. And so last week, we looked at how he began to handle this and what truth we needed to remember. So last week, what we, what we did was, if you weren't here, I'd encourage you to go back and, and listen. The sermons, of course, are on the website. We've got some CDs and so on. I'll kind of give you the first half. What we looked at last week, we made a case that God has not, nor will he ever, forget you. We made a case from Joseph's life. As he looked back, he was able to connect the dots of how God was at work the whole time, how God never forgot him. And we also made a case from each of our lives, how we can look back, and though through, through ups and downs, we see God's hand at work in our lives. And then we also began and gave you the first action step that you can take 
when you feel as if God has forgotten you. So the, the truth that we wrote down last week, you'll see it's already completed there in your bulletin, is God does not forget. That's the major theme for both of these sermons. I want you to know that. God does not forget. The, the reason that's the major theme and not some action point is because I really believe that far beyond just doing things, we need to make sure we know and understand and remember the truth. We've got to remember. We can do all kinds of great things. You know this. We can do all kinds of wonderful, wonderful things. We can leave here with a great mission to go do. But if we don't base that upon the truth that we see in God's Word, it's just good stuff that we do. It has no true foundation. And so the only way that you can take the action steps that I see laid out here in the Scripture is if you remember the ultimate truth. God does not forget. It gives you reason for doing what you do. So make sure, circle that somewhere. If you've got some margin in your Bible, write it down as sort of the theme of this general story here from chapter 40 even on. And in fact, the entire story from 37 to 50 is a story of God not forgetting Joseph and doing stuff through Joseph and in Joseph and in spite sometimes of Joseph's circumstances that only God can do. God does not forget. That's the major theme. And it's because of that that we can take at least two action steps. I gave you the first last week. It's on your, it's on your bulletin there. You do all you can where you are. This is really tough. This is really hard. I've been through times in my life, maybe you have too, where you just think, okay, um, what, what do I do? You know, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm a little frustrated. And I remember when I first got out of college, and I'm gung-ho, and I'm going to go into teaching and coaching. And, 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 and I get there, and I think, ah, <laughs> this isn't exactly what I, what I thought it would be. I, I was more inspired when I started. And, and, and I remember people just telling me, you know, just be faithful where you are. Be faithful where you are. Do all you can where you are. And I just thought, really? That, that's it? Just sort of keep going? And, you know, isn't, isn't there some way out of this? You know, and I tell you, I, from Scripture and from personal experience, and maybe you could say the same thing, I've realized that that's pretty good advice. Be faithful where you are. Do all you can where you are. We looked at some sub-truths of that last week in the life of Joseph. Do all you can where you are in whatever position you have. Joseph did not wait until he arrived as prime minister of, of Egypt, which we'll see him, to begin being faithful to God. Faithfulness to God does not begin when you arrive wherever you think you might need to go. It begins now. So be faithful to God and do all you can in whatever position you have. Along with that, we see Joseph doing all he could where he was using the gifts that God had given him. God had obviously blessed him with extreme wisdom and discernment. And even though he's in prison with prisoners who seemingly can do nothing for him, he still utilizes his gifts in prison to interpret their dreams. Do all you can where you are, using the gifts that God has given you. And finally, we, we, we looked at doing all that we can where we are so that we can be successful in God's eyes. It's evident that Joseph, when he approaches this cupbearer and the baker, and they, they say there's no one here that can interpret dreams, Joseph doesn't sort of straighten himself up and kind of, you know, throw out his chest just a little bit and say, well, you, you haven't met me yet. You don't know about what I can do. His rhetorical question is, don't interpretations belong to God? It's obvious that Joseph wanted to be successful in God's eyes primarily. So Joseph did all that he could where he was. Tremendous challenge and example for us that we saw last week. But there's one more action step that we can take that really seems like no action whatsoever. 
And when you, when you see it, some of you have been trying to guess it now for the last week. Maybe you took your bulletin home and you think, what's that last blank on the bulletin? All right, you're going to get it in just a second. They already put it, they haven't put it up yet. Okay. I'm just waiting. You ready? The point is, wait on God. You see how I made you wait? Isn't that great? Anyway. <clears throat> Relax. It's okay. Wait on God. That's the next action step. Now, I don't have all the little sub-points, but I tell you what, I would really love for you to write these down somewhere as I move through them. They're not going to be on the screen. That's no problem. What can you do when you feel like God has forgotten you? Well, the first thing, you do all you can where you are. And secondly, though it feels like no action at all, you wait on God. Think about the most annoying wait that you've ever had. I don't know where it is for you. Maybe it's at some government building somewhere where it's just a line. You're getting your driver's license renewed or whatever it may. I have no idea for you where it is. Or maybe it's in traffic. You know, I, before we, I just have to admit to you, before we moved here, we lived in Atlanta. And I expected traffic in Atlanta. And Murray traffic sometimes just really annoys me. I think, <laughs> come on. Oh, you know. Maybe it's for you, it's traffic. I don't like traffic at all. You know, I kind of expected it there, but boy, here I thought, well, all right, good, no more traffic. And then I got out of the ball game last night. There's traffic everywhere, you know. Oh, I don't know about you. What about frustration when somebody makes you late for something? You know, I mean, you're trying to get somewhere, and, you know, you haven't planned exactly, you know, really well, and yet that person in front of you is going 10 miles an hour under the speed limit needs to know that you're in a hurry, and it's their fault now that you're late. Isn't that the truth? It's not your fault that you didn't plan accordingly. You know, it's their fault that they're going too slow or whatever. Or, you know, the, the average person, I, I saw this this week, and it wasn't a scientific study that I could tell, but it, it, it seems to be about accurate. The average person, think about this, spends 45 minutes to an hour each day waiting. Just think about it. Think about all the different times that you're waiting on something. Whatever it may be, waiting on a person, waiting on a meeting, waiting on something to load on your computer, I don't, whatever it may be. 45 minutes to an hour each day waiting. Now, for you math majors, if you add that up over a lifetime, that's a lot. <laughs> Tell I'm not a math major. That's a lot of waiting, is it not? It can be frustrating. It can make you angry. It can seem like such a waste of time to wait for something. You can get annoyed by it, or you can use it for the purpose that God has designed it. We see God designing weight into the life of Joseph. A waiting time. Why does God allow us to wait? Why does He require us to wait? Why is the waiting important and beneficial? Why should we learn to wait when it feels like that we've just been forgotten and that only seemingly makes it worse? You wait on God and... I think Joseph's story here gives us some great truth. And if you want to write down some of the, the subpoints, please do. You wait on God because his timetable is better than yours. That may seem really obvious. You wait on God because his timetable is better than yours. Genesis 41, verse 1, plays off of 23 in chapter 40. The chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. And then in verse 1 of chapter 40, what does it say? Two years later, between verse 23 of chapter 40 and verse 1 of chapter 41 are two years. Think about it. What if we 
sat here for two years waiting to read that next verse. When I just required you to sit here. Some of you say, you're not going to make me, I'm, I'm not. I couldn't do it anyway. What if? I mean, think about it. Two years between those two verses. He forgot him. Two years later. He's still in prison during these two years. And we learn later that he rose to prominence as the prime minister of Egypt at age 30. It was at age 17 when he sold into slavery. I'll give you an easy one. How many years is that? It's 13 years. Even I can do the math on that one. It's 13 years that he was in, in slavery and in prison. A 13-year waiting period from the time when he has his dreams in chapter 37 to the time finally when his dreams later on are sort of realized. 13 years. It's almost half his life. The man of 30 years old who waited for 13 years. And not just waiting, but waiting in prison and as a slave. So for 13 years he struggled. For 13 years he labored. For 13 years God seemed to take him nowhere. For 13 years it seemed like God had totally forgotten him. Put yourself in his shoes for just a second. We see these Bible characters and Bible heroes, and we see their triumphant end of the story sometimes, and we just think they're different than us. There's just something a little, you know, superhuman about them. They're not quite like us. I mean, after all, they're in the Bible. For 13 years, imagine that. Some of you have been there. Some of you are there right now. You're in the midst of your weight on God. And you, you, you say 13 years, well... <laughs> It had only lasted that long. For some, it's been decades of seemingly going nowhere, God taking you nowhere, God seemingly forget, forgetting you. But it's clear with this story that God's timetable, though it's not aligned certainly with what Joseph would have wanted, nor is it typically aligned with what we want, God's timetable is perfect in every single way. We see this in the story. And it's during those 13 years in prison, in 13 years as a slave, that, that combined, it's when God molded and shaped Joseph for the position he would later hold. I honestly don't believe that Joseph would have been successful later on in the position that he later held had it not been for those 13 years of waiting on God in some very difficult circumstances. The hardest part, though, is it seems that Joseph was ready for it long before God allowed him to experience it. If, if you're a person, let, let me say this, Probably, I use an arbitrary number, let's say 35 and under. If you're, a, if you're 35 and under, and I use that because I, I still am a little while longer, anyway, I'm still in that category, all right? If you're 35 and under, you may feel as if, now don't tune me out if you're, if you're over 35, all right? No, I'm, not, I'm, I'm actually picking on the other folks, all right? So you can kind of say, well, yeah, that's right. All right. <clears throat> You may feel as if you're already ready for whatever God may have put on your heart and mind to do. You've got the skill, you've got the education, you've got the talent, you've got the mindset, you've got the brain, the creativity, the whole deal. And yet it could be that as God makes you wait, that there is something in your life that God still wants to do to prepare you for something maybe you've not even thought of. 
Those who are over 35, I'm sure you can look back and say, you know what? Maybe I'm not really where I want to be yet, but I tell you what, I, I wasn't ready back then. I may not still be ready now, but I, I sure wasn't ready back then. Joseph was seemingly ready for greatness long before God allowed him to get there. But he had to wait. And we've got to admit that our, our timetable is typically not aligned with God's. He rarely moves as quickly as we think he should. Now, you're in church. You have to be honest this morning. You need to admit that. God's timetable rarely moves as quickly as we would like. You may spend years stuck in a particular stage wondering what in the world is going on. Why, why won't this change? Why, why won't something happen? The journey may be long and very difficult, and you may rather avoid it altogether. You may say, you know what, I see where God may want me to be. I just need to get there. <laughs> the journey is important to God. Joseph was probably ready long before God allowed him to get into leadership, at least in his own mind he was ready. But the journey was important to God. His timing is perfect, and it's only in the journey, don't miss this, it's only in the journey that we learn to trust Him, we learn to wait on Him, and we learn to depend upon Him. Because if not, then you learn to trust yourself. And you learn to to depend only on you and the people around you. What's God's aim for you? To trust Him. God orchestrated Joseph's life so eventually he would wind up exactly where God wanted him to be. God's timetable required that Joseph wait on God. There's so much that can be built into your life while you wait. Think about those 45 minutes to an hour that you wait every day. I don't know what you do to fill the time. <laughs> I, I don't know if you just get angry and shout and scream and yell and, or if you just sort of just kind of boil up inside. I don't know what you do, but think about the times in your life where literally you're waiting on something. And then if you spiritualize that and you think about the years you spend waiting, it seems, on God to move or to do or to whatever you hope that He will. There's so much that, that can be done while you wait on God, so much that can be built into your life, so much to learn, so much to think about, maybe even to write down and chronicle the journey God has you on, so much to learn about the Scripture, so many skills to be built into you, so much wisdom to gain, so much experience to be had. I spoke earlier to those who are 35 and under, and I really do fear, and I heard... One of my favorite preachers, a guy named Chuck Swindoll, I heard him say this to a group of, of leaders that were mostly 30 and under and some in their 30s. And he fears for those who are thrust into to major leadership roles at such an early age. Because he said that in order for God to use somebody in a very special way, first what has to happen is he has to crush that person. And very rarely does it happen early in life that you've been crushed enough to be able to be molded by God to do what God really wants you to do. What great advice. You know, there's a reason that our Constitution requires that the President of the United States be at least 35. No offense to our college students and young people here, but I'd rather not elect a college student President of the United States, if you understand what I mean. We might have a fun time for four years, but I'm not sure we'd move forward that much. I don't know. 
Speaking of that, by the way, I will turn 35 this year, and so I'm running um, <clears throat> on the Elm Grove ticket uh, for, for president. It's B-U-R-N-S. You can write that in. Um, but you know, it's amazing what God can build into your life while you wait. His timetable is better than yours. You wait on God also because you can't see what he's doing always behind the scenes. <laughs> you can't always see what he's doing behind the scenes. Joseph here in verse 40, uh, chapter 41 he sees the cupbearer leave and forget him. Imagine every day the gates of that prison rattle and Joseph perks up. I mean, he had told the guy, look, when you get back to Pharaoh, please just remember me. He didn't say anything but that. Just get me out. He wasn't trying to get close to Pharaoh. He wasn't trying to play any kind of cards or anything like that. He just get me out of this prison. Imagine the gates rattle. Joseph sort of looks up, expecting to see someone, maybe the cupbearer himself, coming back with his release papers, his get-out-of-jail-free card. Here he comes. That's not him. And the next day, maybe he, he hears it rattles, okay, all right, well, you know, I heard about this feast they're having, and maybe, maybe after it's over, after the party for Pharaoh is over. That's not him. You know, you figure about a month in, he probably gave up. I mean, think about it month in, the gates rattling, no big deal. Figures, well, <laughs> guess I'm just a prisoner again. He's forgotten me. Just go about my life. But all the while, God was up to something. Joseph had no idea, no idea, that Pharaoh would have two dreams. Would wake up disturbed, needing an answer, needing an interpretation. He had no idea that God would close the minds of those around Pharaoh so that they could not even give him an inkling of what those dreams meant. Joseph had no idea that the cupbearer, maybe wanting to, to make nice in the eyes of his boss, would say, oh, by the way, I knew a guy once, a couple of years ago. Interpreted a dream for me. Maybe you ought to give him a shot. No idea that Pharaoh's desperation to find an interpretation to his dream would lead the king to summon a prisoner. Consider it. A prisoner from prison to interpret. All the wise men, all the magicians that he could find, that he relied on, could not do it. And he goes to a prisoner. Joseph had no idea that would happen. But God did. God's plan for Joseph was bigger than this young man himself. Joseph could not see what's going on behind the scenes and neither can we in our lives in human history we cannot see what God is doing behind the scenes most of the time I think you'd probably agree with that we'd like to but we can't always see it Joseph may have thought that his deliverance would come through this cupbearer this is my hope here's my chance and yet ultimately it's God alone who can get the credit who brings Joseph to the mind of the cupbearer obviously that's the Lord if you learn to trust God behind the scenes, you'll see incredible results in your life. I really believe then that delays and interruptions, even things like flat tires and, and little things that get on your nerves, or even the loss of a job or sickness or anything else, will, will be less fodder for complaint and anxiety and more ammunition for your faith in God. When you begin to trust that God is at work, always at work, behind the scenes. So when those things come, when those delays and interruptions and hard times in life come, let them drive you to faith. I trust God is working even when I can't see Him. 
Maybe you need to say that to you, to your circumstances, and to Satan himself who would want to distract you from your faith in God. Or I will be patient and I will wait on God regardless of how difficult it is. Or God, give me your perspective. Help me to see. Or maybe you'd have even a little sense of humor about it. (laughs) I guess God's doing something that I can't see. Remember, you can't always see what God is doing behind the scenes. But you can trust what the Scripture says, both from example in the Old Testament and explicitly in the New Testament, that God is always working in the circumstantial details of your life, and He will, according to Romans chapter 8, work it all for good for those who believe in Him. You wait on God also because He never wastes an experience that you have. He never wastes an experience that you have. Joseph had interpreted dreams before, and what is it that will give him an audience with Pharaoh? His ability to interpret dreams. Dreams play this recurring role in the life of Joseph. He has them as a young man, later interacts with a cupbearer and the baker, later with Pharaoh based upon this same theme of, of dreams in his life. So far, none of the dreams had gone the way that he hoped they would. <laughs> and yet God was doing something through the experiences that Joseph had to bring about his deliverance. At the right moment, God brought to mind Joseph in the mind of the cupbearer. And Joseph's skills and his wisdom and experience are finally able to be leveraged toward what he had dreamed about all along. Joseph's previous negative experiences weren't overlooked. They weren't meaningless. His previous heartbreak and disappointment were then preparation we see for verse 14 in chapter 41. Then Pharaoh sent for Joseph. And they quickly brought him from the dungeon. He shaved, changed his clothes, and went to Pharaoh. And as we see in the rest of this story we'll look at in the next couple of weeks, it's amazing to see how what God had done in Joseph's life before, the experiences he had, all culminate. I'm really convinced that no matter how young or old you may be today, that many of us here have yet to see what God will do with all the experiences that we've had along the way. All the junk... All the great stuff, all of it, whether it's positive or negative, know this, God never wastes an experience that you have. Never. See this in all areas of life. Your childhood, whether it was good or bad, serves as a great training for your experience as a parent. (laughs) Does it not? Your times of rejection in the past maybe will one day serve as an opportunity for you to help someone else who's going through The exact same thing. Your skills, your abilities, your mind may seem untapped now, but trust me, you possess those things for a reason. Make this personal real quick. I I reference baseball quite a bit, and you guys know, and probably some of you are annoyed by it, and that's okay. I don't know about anything else. I I just rather than try to fake it and you know, and then you really get annoyed. But you, you know, I, I've, I've told people this before, and I really believe it. And I, and I hope you see the parallel in your own life. I, I don't think I have fully yet understood why it was that God allowed me to be a good baseball player. It, it wasn't, certainly just so that my parents wouldn't have to pay as much for college. I mean, that, that, that was good in the moment. 
but there's something more. Do you see what I'm saying? There's something more that God built into me through that experience that I don't even know yet. I don't know why I had those experiences or, 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 or why exactly God gave me those abilities or whatever. And in, and in your life, it's the same exact way. You have some skills that, that no one around you has, and maybe you think, why in the world has God made me good at this? Why does he keep bringing these things to mind? Why do I see it this way, whatever it may be? I'm just convinced that many of us here today have yet to see what God will do with the experiences, the giftings, the ability, whatever it may be. Just like I'm not sure how all of that stuff that I experienced 12, 15, 20 years ago will continue to be used by God in my life for His glory. I have no idea. But I know that He will. As Joseph stood before Pharaoh, surely he reflected on all that happened in his life to get him to that moment. And we, like Joseph, must wait on God because He never wastes an experience that we have. And the last thing is, is this, that we must wait on God because we desperately, and don't, don't miss this because it's the last thing, we desperately need to learn humility and submission. We wait on God because we desperately need to learn humility and submission. After 13 years of anguish and rejection and pain and suffering and hardship and disappointment, Joseph is called to appear before the king. Here's his shot. Here's his chance to make it all right, to take hold of what God had finally done for him. And his words in chapter 41, beginning in verse 15, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream and no one can interpret it, but I have heard it said about you that you can hear a dream and interpret it. Think about it. 13 years of pain. 13 years of waiting for his opportunity. And his words, I am not able to. Really? I tell you what, if I'm in that situation, in my flesh, I want to say, you bet I can. I've been doing it my whole life. Are you kidding me? I've been, finally, here's my opportunity. It's about time. Think about it. Maybe you're not as human as I am. I don't know. But think about it. I'm not able to. It is God. It will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. It's amazing. There's no self left in Joseph at this point. There, there's no self-promotion. There's no self-pity. There's no self-righteousness. No self-sufficiency. He's emptied of himself because he waited on God. He recognizes only the Lord the source of power and wisdom that's needed by the king. Not Joseph. <laughs> Only the Lord. Only God. It's a different picture of Joseph than we saw 13 years before. Who was a little bit uh, presumptuous, maybe a little naive, maybe a little arrogant. We, we're not totally sure, but we certainly know he was definitely a little bit immature. And now we see him, 13 years later, after being crushed and having to wait on God, we see him humble and submissive. The perfect tool in God's hands. His previous decade of ups and mostly downs have, have built into Joseph an intense dependence on God. And his spiritual maturity finally intersects with God's timing, and the results, as we'll see, are nothing short of amazing. He needed 13 years of suffering and pain to prepare him for what God had planned. 
You and I are no different. It may not be 13 years. It may be a few days, a few months, a couple of decades. I have no idea. But in order for us to be ready for God-honoring service, we've got to learn humility and submission to Him. I wish I could tell you that all you need are great skills. All you need is just a, a, a heart to serve people. All you need is a, a, just a different educational degree. Or maybe you need just to, to open this business or that. I, I wish I could say all that. But I really believe that, that God got Joseph to the point where finally he's ready because he's humble and he's submissive. And since those things don't come through human nature, you notice that? We're not naturally humble or submissive. We often have to have those things forced upon us by a period of waiting on God. And it's only then that God does amazing things through broken and humble people and broken and humble churches. So wait on God. In spite of your tendency, like all of us, to rush ahead, in spite of your tendency to, to keep up with the pace and expectation of society or the desire for immediate greatness or gratification, in spite of your need for control <laughs> over your life, wait on God. Trust Him. Don't take any shortcuts and don't give up because God does not forget. He would later prove this to Joseph and his family. As we see, Paul writes about it, that in the fullness of time at the right moment, God fulfills His promises to Joseph's ancestors and sends who? Jesus Christ. <laughs> All that time it seems that the nation of Israel would be forgotten, that the promise would not come true, and at the right moment, after hundreds of years of waiting, God provides Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah. It's the exclamation point on why we should wait on God. Because He never forgets, never goes back on His word. We see Joseph here at the end of his life, broken and humble. You realize that's where Jesus says we have to begin in order to receive Him? When He preached first to His disciples in Matthew 5, He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, <laughs> the humble, the submissive. For they will see God. That's where you begin. You want to say, how can I know God like it seems Joseph knew Him? You humbly and submissively receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Calling out to Him for forgiveness of your sin and for Him to now take over your life. That's how. I want you to bow your head and pray with me as we close. You this morning, you may feel as forgotten as those who signed the Declaration of Independence whose names we could not remember. But I want you to know God has not forgotten you. He's brought you here today to be reminded of that simple fact. And He provided Jesus Christ as your means to know Him as intimately as it seems that Joseph knew him in the Old Testament. I plead with you this morning to give your life to Jesus Christ. Humbly and submissively give it all to Him. Call out to Him for salvation. And receive it this morning. And then consider, how can I do all I can where I am while I wait on God. Trust in the Lord this morning. He loves you. 
And He has not forgotten you. He will strengthen you. And He's promised to save those who call out to Him in faith. Heavenly Father, thank You so much for Your truth. Please help us, Lord, to be people of humility and submission as we wait on You. Thank You that You have not forgotten us. We pray in Jesus' name.